Well, good morning. My name is Matt Kerber. I'm a pastor at City Reform. We want to dismiss our children for Children's Church. Um, we are moving through a book of the Bible uh, called The Acts of the Apostles. We're moving towards the end. We've done this in installments uh, over the years. I think the first series in Acts was about 10 years ago, maybe 11. Took a little break, came back for a little bit, took a little break, and here we're finishing up. Uh, the trajectory of the book has been moving from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And uh, what we've recognized over the last uh, couple of weeks in this third and final section is that the, the trajectory of the book is moving Paul towards Rome. Uh, Jesus promised to Paul in time of, a time of great need, I will be with you and uh, I, will, I will be with you and, and help get you to Rome. Rome, in many ways, was the center of the, of the Roman Empire. In many ways, it represented the ends of the earth. Uh, if Paul could preach in Rome, uh, the gospel message would have been in a key spot for distribution all over the known world. In a sense, if you know, I think of the, uh, the old song, if he could make it there, he could make it anywhere. Uh, getting, getting to Rome was going to be getting to the place. And yet Paul's uh, journey to Rome has been unexpected in many ways. It's mostly occurred with Paul in chains. He's been a prisoner. His message of uh, uh, a gospel grace that moves beyond the religious community of the Jewish people, it's including the Gentiles. They're now a people of uh, a worldwide people gathering in the church. This was an unpopular message. It landed him in prison. And so Paul will find that he gets to Rome as a prisoner. Now, what we saw the last week is that even that part of the journey uh, was something he couldn't take for granted. The boat that he was on as a prisoner uh, encountered terrible storms at sea. They were blown off course. Uh, by the grace of God, they're able to make a landfall on a, a little island south of Italy. So they, they covered a lot of ground, not in the way they expected. And uh, just as they get to what is sort of an, an uncharted harbor or one that the sailors don't know about, the, the boat strikes a reef or it strikes, a, uh, strikes the ground. It's being smashed to pieces. Everyone jumps overboard and they make, it, they make it to shore. And Paul concluded last week by saying, and so they all made it safely ashore. Uh, we pick up the text this week uh, with really a, a story of refuge. We sometimes speak of a calm before a storm or in the eye of the storm, or in this case, a calm after the storm. There's a, a number of uh, stories here, a number of accounts in which there is refuge for Paul, for Luke, who's traveling with them, and for others. In the midst of a uh, difficult season, as Paul then moves towards Rome and his impending trial, we see God using people to bring comfort and encouragement after the storm. I'll read the passage and then we'll affirm this together as we receive God's word. Acts chapter 28 verses 1 to 15. After we were brought safely through, that is through the shipwreck, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on a fire... A viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he's escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. 
But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their mind and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed and put his hands on him and healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. After three months, we set sail on a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria, with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Rigium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Putuli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they had heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. This is the word of the Lord. There's an, an old proverb in English that says, a friend in need is a friend indeed. If you've heard that before and you've paused to give any thought to it, you realize that it could be taken a couple of different ways. Are we supposed to think that needy friends are really good friends or that friends are good when they care for us in our need? Uh, a number of people can talk back and forth about it, but as we trace the history of that proverb in English, the, the meaning becomes a little clearer. Uh, it's probably based in some things said in many different languages, proverbs in different languages. But as we trace it back to its earliest known roots in English, we come across a, a book published in 1562 by John Haywood called A Dialogue Containing Proverbs and Epigrams. It's a very good 16th century title for a book. And uh, in it, there's a, a short little poem, a short little saying that goes something like this. Uh, I, I paraphrased into modern English so we can follow along. Test your friend before you have need, but indeed, a friend is never known till a man has need. Before I had need, my most present foes seemed my best friends, but thus the world goes. In other words, uh, when things are going well, your friends and enemies or your friends and foes could look similar. But when you have great need, when things are hard, when you're encountering the shipwrecks of life, so to speak, you find out who your friends are. The passage we're looking at today is one in which Paul found encouraging friends in surprising places. There's a couple of different accounts here on the beach, in this island of Malta, on his way to Rome. And even during the approach to Rome, Paul was shown great kindness. On the heels of a terrible storm, a shipwreck, and a, a long period of uncertainty as a prisoner, this was encouraging for Paul. I'm really struck by the words at the end of our passage where after these many different encouragements, Paul sees the Christians of Rome coming out to meet him. They've traveled as far as uh, the Forum of Appius and the Three Taverns. This is 33 and then 43 miles from Rome. The church of Rome has come out to meet them. And on seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. That really struck me. And let me explain why before we look at this in more detail. On one hand, we see Paul as a man in need who needed friends. He'd been shipwrecked. He's been a prisoner. He's going to Rome. An uncertain future awaits him in Rome. And here, 
people have reached out to him to care for him. But it's also remarkable to me that Paul was encouraged. Paul, the apostle, needed to be encouraged. We see that uh, Paul, uh, throughout these stories, has shown remarkable poise in difficult circumstances. If you were here to hear the sermon last week and read the text, you would have remembered that in the midst of everything falling apart in the ocean, it was Paul who had great calm and poise and really encouraged everyone. It was Paul who, who right as the ship was about to uh, move through the, the final trial of breaking up and they were going to swim to shore, Paul encouraged them all to eat. And he ate in their presence and it says they took heart and they found strength. It was Paul who having heard the promise of Jesus to him and having been reminded in a dream of the promise that he would make it to Rome and the assurance that all on the boat with him would be saved. It was Paul who helped carry them through the shipwreck more than anyone else. As as we look at the passage today, we see many ways in which Paul's extraordinary character as as an apostle shows through. Jesus has promised to be with him. He's going to get to Rome. He's going to be a witness there. And nothing is going to stop it. Not the opposition of the mob or the religious leaders. Not the storm at sea. Not the viper that crawls out of the uh, pile of wood by the fire. And not, uh, not any of these difficulties are going to get in the way. Paul shows himself to be almost superhuman. He's not. He's a man, he's an apostle, he's a real person like you and I, but God has given him extraordinary power. And so we might be excused if we thought at this point in the story that Paul didn't need to be encouraged, that Paul was sort of above that. And yet the text says clearly that on seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. Some of his other writings, Paul gives us an inner window into the the course of his own life. If you turn with me to page 8 and look at some of the additional scriptures, we're reminded that in his writings, Paul often talked openly about his suffering and his need for others. 2 Corinthians 1.8, Paul writes this, he says, we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were utterly burdened beyond our strength, that we despaired of life itself. Paul, the great apostle, the great evangelist, the great ambassador of Christ, going to the ends of the earth, surviving snake bites and shipwrecks and healing the sick, Paul told the Corinthian church that on one occasion he despaired of life because of the suffering that he had. It's actually very much in the way, in the line with the way Paul conducted his ministry. I'm always struck by the fact that in many of his letters, Paul goes out of his way to ask the church to pray for him. Paul, the apostle, asked for the prayers of fellow Christians, of mere Christians, we might say. Paul needed to be encouraged. So I want to look at this passage today with that in mind. I want to see just briefly, we'll survey the text, we'll see these four places where Paul was encouraged. Then I want to think a little longer about how we might be encouragers to others and how we might need to be encouraged. Let's look at the text and see the ways in which Paul was finding friends in his time of need. First, we find it on the beach. They just, uh, we pick up again from the shipwreck last week. We can imagine them crawling up through the surf, 
bedraggled, cold. It was winter. Winter in Malta means it might be in the 50s, but it was rainy. They're wet. This is hypothermia weather. And the locals were extraordinarily kind, Luke tells us. They came out and made a fire for them. They could have stayed in their homes, but they came out to care for these uh, unknown people who had just washed up on their shore. And it was here that... uh, uh, an interesting event occurs. Luke tells us about it. Uh, He says that Paul was out gathering wood. It's interesting to think that Paul, again, the apostle, took his turn getting wood for the fire. He wasn't above doing that, just as his Lord Jesus spent his last night washing the feet of his disciples. So Paul, here on the beach, is gathering wood to keep his friends warm. But one of the bundles that he picks up, a bundle of brushwood, has a snake in it. And as he puts it on the fire, the snake comes out and it fastens on his arm. Those that are seeing him there, those on the island, they see it and they say, Oh, we know what's happening here. The goddess of justice. Perhaps they're thinking of the goddess Nemesis, who is known to follow those who committed great crimes and bring justice in this life. You'll notice in the text, justice is capitalized. We know what's happening here. This is clearly a bad man because he got out of the shipwreck and now he's going to get bitten. How else do you explain it? Well, it doesn't happen that way. Paul, we we know, has God's hand upon him. He's going to go through all kinds of terrible circumstances and the snake bite doesn't affect him. We don't know why. Luke doesn't tell us. But the people have a ready explanation. They've said, well, if he's not a murderer, then he must be a god. Paul has gone from a goat to hero in, in zero to 60, right? Extraordinary amount of time. He's had this happen in other ways in his ministry. Earlier, when Paul went to one city, he arrived in, in the backdrop of, of God using him to heal somebody. Everyone immediately proclaimed him to be a god. And then a couple of moments later, he said something he did they didn't like, and they all stoned him. So Paul knew, as Emily Dickinson would say later, that fame can be a fickle food upon a shifting plate. And so he doesn't probably get, let this go to his head, but it works out well for everyone who's on the beach with him. Uh, we're told that it probably uh, uh, became the backdrop in which they received the invitation to meet with the lead person of the island. We see the second way in which uh, Paul and his companions are comforted by friends in their time of need. Uh, There's a chief man of the island, something of a governor named Publius. Uh, Malta was an important port just south of Italy um, and uh, would have been uh, a place where a lot of shipping would have gone through. It so happened they landed on a beach that was not a good beach to land on, but there were many other beaches there. And uh, they're received and entertained hospitably hospitably for three three days, verse 7. And then again, Paul uh, is used by God uh, as an apostle uh, to demonstrate the healing and renewing power of God. He's able to heal the father of Publius, and it results in, verse 10, great honor. Uh, And then whenever they're about to finally sail, a couple months later, the spring winds have come, and uh, they, they are supplied with all their needs partly through God's extraordinary work and partly just out of sheer mercy. There are friends helping them here in their time of need. Uh, Third, uh, things finally go well for them. They make their way to Rome. A a gentle breeze blowing from the south moves them right up along the western coast of Italy. They go first to Regium, uh, then to the, the coastal town, the port city of Petuli. And there, 
their brothers are Christians who receive Paul and they're invited to stay with them for seven days. Now, we remember at this point that Paul is still a prisoner, but he's really under something, uh, the equivalent of house arrest. Uh, He's a Roman citizen. He hasn't yet been convicted of anything. And we've seen throughout his journeys that the officers in charge of his care have given him a great deal of leave, and especially in light of the fact that he saved them uh, on on the ocean. It doesn't seem uh, uh, too far of a stretch to realize that he was given leave to stay in a more comfortable uh, uh, place. Fourth and finally, however, as Paul makes his way to Rome, he is greeted by friends in a way that seems to truly move him. We remember for a second that uh, for Paul, going to Rome was a big deal. It, It meant that he was arriving in the place where he would stand trial before Caesar. It was a somewhat of an uncertain future, and we can imagine that he would be nervous. After all, he was told that he would testify in Rome. He didn't know what would happen when he got there. It seems as we reconstruct history that Paul probably did well in his trial and he was released. But it would only be a couple of years into the future where church historians tell us that Paul would again be arrested and martyred in the city of Rome. And so it is a foreboding place for a Christian to go, we know, in the history of the church. But it was also likely that Paul was a little bit uncertain about how he would be received by the church. A couple of years earlier, Paul had written one of his most comprehensive letters in his epistle to the church in Rome, the letter to the Romans. And in it, he goes to great lengths to lay out his own position as an apostle, his doctrine, his theology, and he tells them how eager he is to one day come and see them. We're sure when he wrote the letter that He didn't imagine it would be quite like this, arriving in chains under royal guard. We also know that the long journey must have taken a toll on Paul. So when he sees them, we're told by Luke that he thanked God and took courage. These friends had come out to see him and Paul found his spirits lifted and his courage swelled. Again, that strikes me. Doesn't it strike you that Paul was encouraged? These nameless Christians in Rome who made the trek 30 to 40 miles outside of the city to be with him, that these people gave courage to the apostle. How much more so do we need to be encouraged? How much more so do we need to be aware of those around us in need of encouragement? Let me think of exactly uh, what it was that we can take from this and then try to apply it to different places in our lives. We're not told here of anything specifically that they said or that they did, but we're told that when he saw them, Paul took courage. It's a reminder for us that our ministry to others, our ministry of encouragement, is often a ministry of presence. That being with people in their need is sometimes one of the most important things that we can ever do. This occurs against the backdrop of the promises that God had made to Paul. You may remember, we've referenced several times, early on, on the night that he was first arrested, Paul said that that evening the Lord stood by him. The Lord Jesus, perhaps in a vision or perhaps through a messenger angel, we don't know, the Lord Jesus promised that he would be with Paul reaffirming the promises that Jesus made to all Christians, 
that he would be with them to the end of the age, that he would supply the power of his spirit, that we would not be alone in our suffering and in our trials. Well, Paul's been assured of this many times and in many different ways. And here, I think, that what's happening is these brothers and sisters, these Christians coming out from Rome and their ministry of presence showed to Paul a visible token of God's presence. That's often how it works for us, isn't it? Our words may point to the power of God. Our listening ear can encourage others that they are heard, but often in the midst of great suffering and trials, the only thing we really do is show up. Have you had times in your life where someone has shown up powerfully in the midst of your suffering? Maybe even going to great lengths to care for you. Walking 30 miles or 40 miles out to meet Paul as he gets closer to the city was no small thing. In some ways, we can be cared for by those around us who make sacrifices to be with us in similar ways. I remember uh, about three years ago after my father's sudden death, uh, how deeply moving it was to look out at the funeral service and see 40 or 50 friends from Pittsburgh, members of our congregation, who were able to drive over two hours to attend that funeral. I remember what a great encouragement it was. I don't remember the things that people said. I don't even particularly remember all the cards, though many of them were moving and touching. But remember the ways in which people took time to come near how have you been cared for by those that came to be near you in your need? Let me take this idea and just turn it a couple of times as we think about ministry to those in need. I can think of several angles we would take on as we think about a ministry of encouragement. Let me, let me begin by thinking about how we too can be people that care for others and their weakness. Paul and his friends bedraggled and wet on the edge of the shore, shipwrecked and needy. There were people that needed care. Paul, on his way to Rome, not knowing anyone by sight in Rome, unsure of his place, standing before Caesar, in some ways the ultimate outsider, people moved towards him in his need. Let me ask you to consider as you think about your life, whether it's possible that right now there are people around you having great need that you're not aware of. I have no doubt that if you saw a shipwrecked group of people on the beach, you would try to help them. If you were, you know, picnicking with your family at Point State Park and the Gateway Clipper crashed and everyone swam ashore, I have no doubt you would try to help them. But how often is it that the people around us are suffering and we don't see? Is it possible that perhaps this very morning you're sitting next to someone whose life is one big inner shipwreck and you don't know it? Your coworkers, your family, your friends. How often is it that we find the people around us are suffering but we don't have eyes to see and they don't have words to say? I remember a poem I read in an anthology of poetry by the 20th century British poet Stevie Smith was called not waving but drowning. Nobody heard him, the dead man, but still he lay moaning. I was much further out than you thought, not waving but drowning. I was much too far out all my life and not waving but drowning. 
Are there people in your life perhaps silently waving in desperation and we don't have eyes to see? I'd like to think also of the people arriving in our city in a week or two who may feel like they're drowning. Perhaps like Paul arriving in Rome, they're feeling anxious about what lies ahead. They don't know a soul in the city. Incoming freshmen to the University of Pittsburgh, CMU, Point Park, Duquesne. International students arriving in our city from all over the world who know not a soul. Friends, as a church, we have as much as anything else a ministry of hospitality, ministry of openness, welcoming, as we bring encouragement to people at very vulnerable and difficult times in their lives. I was talking with Derek Bakes, our campus pastor, just last week, and he said, you know, Matt, as we think about what it means to be a college student in Pittsburgh, we have to remind ourselves all the time as a church that our college students are pretty much like perpetual visitors. They're always transient. They're never really settled. And they are constantly in need of hospitality and care. Friends, as we seek to be an encouraging church, let us remind ourselves that in these upcoming weeks, we have an opportunity to minister to people in remarkable and sometimes difficult circumstances. It is a high and important calling as we seek to be a church in the midst of this community, caring for people in very, very transient places and at transient times. But let me turn it again and think about it from a different angle. Maybe we're used to thinking about our care for those in weakness. But as I think of Paul, Paul being encouraged, I'm reminded that our care and our encouragement needs to go other directions as well. Maybe we're used to thinking about uh, uh, care and encouragement to the vulnerable. But what does it mean for us as Christians to be intentional about care and encouragement for people in positions of power? Is it possible we easily forget God's calling in our life to pray for and encourage those around us whom God has put placed in positions of power? Have you ever thought about your ministry of encouragement to your boss, your professors, your advisor? Do you ever think about your, your calling to be praying for those political leaders around us who are in positions of great power and influence? Paul tells the church clearly that we ought to be praying for those in authority. Whether we agree or disagree with their policies or who they are, perhaps it's even more important when we disagree that we be people of prayer, praying for God's hand. The book of Proverbs tells us that the heart of the king is like water in God's hands, and so we pray with confidence that God is able to work in spite of or because of those who are in authority. But let me also ask you that you would be serious about your prayer for leaders in the church. I suppose it's most uh, uh, personal for me at this moment, but whenever I read of Paul's uh, requests for prayer, I'm humbled and reminded how much I need to be asking for your prayers. Let me just pause and ask you specifically, would you be in prayer for me, for our other pastors, for our leaders, our Women's ministry council, our elders, our deacons, our volunteer coordinators, our staff. We're moving into a busy season, a challenging season. We have uh, great opportunities, but also great changes in our church. 
And I'll say, I am in need of your prayers. We are in need of your prayers. Third and finally, let me turn it one more time and ask you to think about yourself. How are you asking people to pray for you? Are there times and places in your life where you're able to specifically ask for prayer? Do you have people that are praying for you, encouraging you, and supporting you? Perhaps you here today feel like, metaphorically speaking, you've been washed up on your own internal shipwreck. You've hit the shore and you've crawled into church this morning and you find yourself thinking, man, if anyone around me knew what a mess was going on in my life right now. And yet you reflexively hide it. Is it sometimes possible that we don't receive help and encouragement and prayer because we don't open ourselves up to receive it? We don't put ourselves in the types of relationships where someone can know us. We don't create the spaces where we can share prayer and pray for others. Friends, we have a responsibility to be people who can be encouraged. If the Apostle Paul found it necessary to ask for prayer from the church, how much more so you and I? Just follow the logic one more time. Let me take it up a level. On the night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus Christ asked his fellow disciples to pray for him. Now, if someone were to observe your life and all that was going on in it, would they perhaps conclude that you were more spiritual, more spiritually independent than the Apostle Paul? That you had less need of prayer than the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are we willing to ask for help in time of need? Are we open? Open enough with some people in our life that they can know, that they can pray, that they can be with us when things are hard. God has not wired any of us to be alone. No man or woman is an island. But God has wired us to be a people that are fundamentally dependent on others. You need friends in your needs. As a church, we'll be talking over the next couple of weeks about some of the ways we provide those systems, our small groups, our discipleship ministries, our programs. We'll continue to open the doors and make things available. But I urge you to do the hard work of taking the step yourself of putting yourself in the place where you can be known and you can know others, where you can pray for and people can pray for you. And through these things, we will see together the promises of God that he indeed is with us as we face the challenges and difficulties of life. Let's close in prayer.